of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. What a beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol that speaks of the one outside of time, the author of time, who stepped into time for our sake. That's our focus for today. And so may God's grace and mercy and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text for our meditation today comes from our epistle lesson from Galatians 4, where Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Have you ever seen a perfectly timed photo? If you do a Google search, you'll find all sorts of collections of these perfectly timed photos. Some of them are considered perfectly timed because they look like something they're not because of the moment they were taken. Like this one of a bald eagle that flies in front of an airplane and looks like as it flies, it's leaving contrails behind it. Or this one of somebody in a parachute who's floating in front of the moon and this photo makes it look like he's about to land on the moon's surface. Or this kind of famous one of a gymnast during her floor routine who throws her head back and her foot up at just the right time to make it look like her head has been replaced with a foot. Now other perfectly timed photos are considered perfectly timed because they are taken at the very moment that something very spectacular or disastrous is happening. Like this one of a rocket launcher that's being rocket launched, or this one of an ATV that's losing its wheels in midair, uh oh, or this one that was kind of famous a little bit ago of a baseball reporter uh, during batting practice who takes a selfie having no idea that she is almost going to get hit in the back of the head with a home run ball at Fenway Park. Fortunately, I think it missed her by an inch or something like that. Perfectly timed photos. But you know, it's not just photos that have their maximum impact when they're perfectly timed. The best comedians are not the ones necessarily with just the best jokes, but with the best sense of comedic timing. Perfect timing is a must for music or dance. Timing is everything when it comes to to military operations, to pulling out onto a busy street, or, or even just jumping rope. When you're watching a movie or or a TV show, isn't it so much more exciting when that rescue or that escape happens at the very last minute, when the bomb gets diffused with one second left on the timer? Perfect timing makes for great entertainment. And it also makes for great history. As you think about famous historical figures, most of them are famous because of the time that they showed up like Martin Luther, or Abraham Lincoln, or Winston Churchill, people who came along at just the right time. As you think of your own life, maybe you can think of an individual or two who came along for you at just the right time, at the moment that you needed them the most. Well, that's really what we're talking about today. Today, we're going to be talking about perfect timing and about someone who came along at just the right time, just when we needed him 
the most. Of course, we're talking about Jesus. And that's also who Paul is talking about in our epistle lesson from Galatians when he says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, scholars have been saying for a long, long time that the first century world into which Jesus was born was perfect timing for the advent of Christianity. Now, Pastor Brandt stole my thunder a little bit last week on this with his Christmas Eve message, but I think it might be helpful to review. Jesus was born at the beginning of a period of history called the Pax Romana, the, the Peace of Rome, when the Roman Empire ruled over most of the known world and brought with them a level of civilization that the world had never before seen. And so there were certain things that they did uh, that made the spread of the gospel uh, happen very quickly and, and much more easily than before. All, all of their paved roads throughout the empire allowed travel from city to city to happen much more easily. The Roman general Pompey had cleared the Mediterranean of most of the pirates, and so uh, sea travel was much safer than it had ever been before. With the Greek language spreading throughout the world, it made it possible for most everyone to communicate with one another in a common tongue. So all of these things and and much more uh, made it possible for Christianity to spread in a way that it never could have in the world's history before that point and really wouldn't have been able to for centuries after that. Now, interestingly enough, at this period in history, uh, the Jewish expectations for the Messiah had reached an all-time high, had reached this fever pitch. They also knew that it was perfect timing for a Messiah to come along. But in their view, it was the perfect time for the Messiah to come and to end the Pax Romana in Israel, to come as an earthly king and to throw off Roman rule and Roman oppression. But of course, Jesus was not that kind of Messiah. Though it was perfect timing for him to come, it was not how Israel expected. And even though we've just been discussing how it was the perfect time in world history for the spread of Christianity, in some ways, the culture of the time also presented some very big and unique obstacles to the gospel with its religious pluralism that was prevalent at the time and with the persecution that would come at the hands of the Roman government. So it's very important for us to recognize that when Paul says this, he does not so much have in view perfect timing from an earthly or socio-political standpoint so much as he is referring to God's perfect timing, which is ultimately beyond our comprehension. So however we might want to try to understand or discuss this historically or, or intellectually, from God's perspective, the time was ripe. And God's perspective is all that really matters. God was and is and always will be in control of human history. And so it was in God's perfect timing that Christ came into human history in the fullness of time. The Greek word translated fullness here is pleroma, which, which means something that, that reaches a full measure. It can be described when, when you've been at a banquet and you're completely satisfied. Here, it kind of has the sense of time filling up this container until it gets to the very brim, about to overflow. So in other words, from the very beginning, 
time had been filling up until it reached the perfect moment appointed by the Father. This phrase, fullness of time, highlights the intentionality of God's plan all along. It demonstrates that everything that happened before the incarnation of Christ had a part in that plan. The fullness of time is therefore the arrival of the time ordained by God in his eternal counsels. The time for him to fulfill the promise he had made way back in Genesis and ever since through the faithful word of his holy prophets. And so, when that time came, God sent forth his son. At long last, Christ who existed long before the manger in Bethlehem, before time itself, begotten of the Father's love, ere the worlds began to be, revealed his sacred face, the Alpha and the Omega, the source and the ending of all things, was made man, born of woman, born under the law. And so it happened that that woman, Mary, went to be purified with Jesus according to the law. Our gospel reading from Luke 2 began, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. The second to last verse of our reading said, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. This is part of what we call the active obedience of Christ, that, that Jesus fulfilled the law completely on our behalf, including the ceremonial law of Moses in effect at the time. And in doing so, in in being brought to the temple in Jerusalem to fulfill God's commands, Jesus runs into Simeon and Anna. These elderly saints of the Lord had been waiting a long, long time for this moment, for this Messiah. Simeon, in particular, had been told by God that he would not see death before seeing the Lord's Christ. And when he does see Jesus, he picks him up in his arms and he sings a song of praise. At long, long last, the consolation of Israel for which Simeon had been waiting was here. In our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah, we heard about Israel waiting for consolation. Isaiah said, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Five centuries before the fullness of time, Israel was consoled when God restored their fortunes, brought them back home from exile, and gave them righteousness and salvation. So when Jesus came, He came as Israel's hope and consolation. Jesus was and is, first and foremost, Israel's Messiah. But in Jesus' day and in Isaiah's day and always before that, God had always used Israel as an instrument to bring his salvation to all peoples. And so Simeon sings of how God has prepared salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to God's people, Israel. In Jesus, the long-expected one who now shines as the light of the world, Jerusalem's righteousness was going forth as brightness, her salvation as a burning torch 
as Isaiah had prophesied to Israel, in Jesus, the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. So like Simeon, our eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. Like Anna, we too must speak of him to all who are waiting for redemption. Simeon and Anna saw who Jesus was and rejoiced. They had maintained this long-suffering, singular focus on waiting for Jesus. And when the time finally came for them to meet the Lord's Christ, we don't get the sense that they said, finally, it's about time. But rather, perfect timing. So how about you? Are you waiting for consolation? Is Jesus your singular focus? Well, we just confessed together earlier that that we have not loved him with our whole heart. It's very difficult to let Jesus be everything for us, even during this special time of year. But just a few days ago, we celebrated Christ's birth, that Jesus came to us just when we needed him, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were without hope, captive and mourning in lonely exile, hard-pressed by the demands of God's good law that, that we could never hope to live up to. And so God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That's you and me. Maybe you noticed in our opening hymn today, all four stanzas ended with the same two words. Did anybody catch that? Those two words were for me. Jesus came for me. Jesus came for you. This is why Jesus was born. Any explanation or reflection on the meaning of Christmas that that is not centered in God's purpose to redeem the world falls miserably short. And Christ did not redeem us from ceremonies only. He redeemed us from every sin in our hearts, every sin on our lips, every sin in our lives, and from the law that forbids them. As Martin Luther says, he was himself under obligation to no one, yet he made himself a debtor by living as if he were a sinner. Because Jesus was born under the law, you and I are set free from the law's demands. We are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. In fact, Paul says that this was the purpose of our redemption, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus was born into the family of the human race at just the right time, so that we might be reborn into the family of God. And because we are part of God's family, Paul says that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who had promised Simeon that he would see the Christ then led Simeon to Jesus. And that same spirit has led us to Jesus too, opening our eyes to the consolation of Israel, the Lord's Christ the world's redeemer. Through baptism, God has sent his spirit into our hearts. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And now, 
somewhat ironically, perhaps, we wait. It seems strange to talk about waiting when we just finished the season of Advent and when our whole message has really been talking about how Christ has already come in the fullness of time. But we're still waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for an end to sickness and sorrow. We're waiting for evil to be rendered powerless, for death to be eternally reversed. And so, like Simeon, upon meeting Jesus, we can depart from here today in peace because we have met Jesus too. He has come here today and forgiven all of our sins. But also, like Simeon, before meeting Jesus, we are also waiting for the Lord's Christ to appear because in the fullness of time, at the moment appointed by God the Father, he will return. As Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Until that time, we have the assurance of the one who came in the fullness of time that he will be with us to the very end of the age until the time is full again for his return. So let's look for him. Let's wait for him with a singular focus. And when that day comes, let us not say, finally, it's about time, but instead, perfect timing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God which transcends our understanding guard your hearts and your minds. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.